Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Outreach. That's Outreach.io, the leading sales engagement platform. Outreach supports sales reps by enabling them to humanize communications at scale from automating the soul-sucking manual work that eats up sales time to providing action-oriented tips on what communications are working best. Outreach has your back. It's a great product. The company is filled with amazing people. And I can tell you firsthand, Outreach will make your sales org better. Do yourself a favor and check them out today. The Sales Leadership Podcast is also brought to you by Xvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. If you're one of the 97% of sales leaders that have a sales process but don't have a structured one-on-one coaching process, check out Xvoyant today. The Xvoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones with each rep can drive purpose-driven activities in a way that will change careers in, in, in your organization almost immediately. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Xvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. We appreciate each of our listeners and are committed to introducing you to the most innovative, most successful sales leaders in the world. If you like what you hear, please keep those reviews coming on your favorite podcast sites. Your reviews make it easier for more people to find this show and be introduced to these sales success blueprints. Now... Get ready for some sales insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we're joined by Chad Olds, Vice President of Worldwide Enterprise Sales for Encore. Encore helps software development teams strengthen their software supply chain, protect against insider threats, and ensure companies can audit and respond effectively. Encore has become the container security tool of choice by numerous Fortune 500 companies, including the United States Department of Defense and many others that we'll hear about in a second. They are growing fast, and they recently just raised a crazy $20 million Series A funding. Chad's an awesome character. I can't wait to get to know him better today. He's a BDR turned sales rep, turned sales leader, turned VP of sales that is passionate about building and scaling high-performing sales teams in high-growth environments. As VP of Worldwide Enterprise Sales for Encore, Chad leads a team that's growing fast and fueling the growth of this really exciting company. Now, Chad also has a really interesting video series on LinkedIn that we're going to talk about, and I'm going to encourage all of you to subscribe to. I've been following it, and that's why I asked him to join us on the show to discuss winning in this current environment, because I think what he has to say right now is extremely relevant, and I'm excited to get into it with him. I've really been looking forward to this conversation. Chad, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Rob. I'm I'm excited to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and uh I think right now it's important that we talk about some of these things because sales is changing very quickly and uh, we have to change with it. So thank you for having me. No doubt. First of all, congrats on what you've been doing personally and what your organization's been doing. It's it's fun to see people winning at such a good clip. People that have been listening to our show for a long time know that the three words I always talk about are and then some. Take what the market gives and then some. And you guys certainly are doing that at Encore. For the people that might not know your, your space as well, can you introduce Encore to our listeners? Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. It's um, So if you look at what's happening in software development right now, uh, containers are everywhere and it's growing at an exponential rate. Uh, if you look at how developers are developing software, typically they're pulling 95 to 97% of their code from somewhere else, right? So they pull it all in, they containerize it. And then once you containerize software, you can deploy it on the cloud, you can deploy it on-prem, you can scale a lot uh, more easily. The, the, the tricky part though, is once you containerize something, it becomes very hard to see what's inside of it. So you can see what the operating system is. You can see the basic stuff, but you can't see, are there secrets? Are there social security numbers, passwords? Are you using, do you have ports open you shouldn't have open? And this is where the genius of my CEO and uh, my CTO came in. As, as co-founders of Encore, they realized that this is growing like wildfire two years ago. 
they also realized that most companies that are looking at the security of these things came from a network security background or somewhere else. They did mm. not understand how to see inside of the containers. So what we do is instead of attacking threats as they're happening, like day zero, oh my gosh, somebody is doing something inside our environments, we help them attack it during the software development lifecycle. So once you can see what's in the container, you can start to create policies that don't allow things to get to the next level, like in staging or testing or production. So we keep threats out of production. And that's why you mentioned the DOD. They're one of our biggest um, supporters. We also have other very large enterprise companies like Cisco and NVIDIA and eBay and awesome. many others that a couple of them came in this morning. Congrats, uh, by the way. That's, that's fantastic. I love hearing it. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's generally what we do on the container security side. Yeah. All right, so you guys are in a really interesting marketplace where I can see how you're solving problems that matter for these these uh, fast-growing companies that uh, suddenly have to look at security through a different lens. It's interesting to, to hear that, so thanks. Uh, I, I'm really interested to hear how you guys are selling. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But my, one of my favorite parts that we do when we get guys like you on that are leading high-growth teams, tell us your story of how you got into sales. I'm still waiting to hear the person that said I wanted to be a salesperson when they grow up, you know, and, and ultimately how did that lead you to Anchor? Uh, that's perfect. Uh, you're not going to find that person today, uh, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I, it's really interesting though, because uh, this is a this is a question that probably every sales leader has gotten, and I agree. Nobody ever starts wanting to be in sales. You don't go to school to become a salesperson. There wasn't a course at my university on how to sell, which I hope to be part of the change on that. Um, when I retire, my dream is to become a professor of selling uh, at, a, at an accredited university. Um, That's happening now. There are about, there's a number of schools that are doing that now, and it's awesome to see. We, we actually partner with a number of them, like UT Dallas down in Texas, uh, who just won the national championship in sales. Okay, um, I, would, I would love to have that conversation. With we'll have that offline. Sorry that I interrupted you, but I have that same passion. That's why I couldn't shut up. Yeah. I, 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 I think that that's a huge miss at the university level. Oh, okay. I love that. Um, so, so what, so what, how did this come about? I, I did grow up in a, a family, uh, that, that did have a business focus. My dad was at IBM for, I think almost 40 years. And I'll tell that as part of my story. Cause there's a funny piece of that. We ended up okay. at IBM at the same, at the same time and on the same team. Wow. Um, but how did this start? So I knew I wanted to be in business. Um, and it's not like my whole family's that way. I've got two brothers. One's one is also in sales, but one's a musician, right? Uh, but I knew I wanted to be in business, thought I wanted to be in marketing and, and, and management, like most people will say. Uh, so what actually happened is, as I was uh, graduating college, I had a friend that was at Red Hat, which at the time was a relatively unknown company, unless you were in Raleigh. They did Linux. Now they're obviously a lot bigger. Um, but he said, hey, there's a job fair. You should come check it out. It's more just about Red Hat. It's not an interview. It's none of that stuff. So I go there. Uh, my, actually, my wife and I both go there. Uh, uh, separately, they didn't know that it, we weren't married at the time. They didn't know that we were together, but we both went there to go check this place out. So it ends up being a round robin of, of six interviews, right? Like very intense with the um, head of North America sales, head of inside sales, and all these different people. So I go through and I inter interview and uh, get through the first stage of interviews. They call me back. They say, hey, Chad, I'd love to have another conversation with you about possibly joining our inside sales team. Hey, just out of curiosity, when would you be able to start? I was kind of like, well, I, I, I graduate in six months, uh, so so after that. And they said, oh, you're not even graduated? All right, fine. <laughs> um, keep in touch, right? And that was this, this is where kind of the grit piece started that was critical. They said keep in touch. <clears throat> there were six or seven people that I interviewed with, so I made sure that I got the emails of all those people from a contact that I knew at Red Hat. And I just started to kind of hit them every month or every time something interesting happened in school or whatever it was over the next six months, just praying that I could maybe get into Red Hat. Um, and this is where sales became a thing. Like during this time, you don't, I was interviewing at other places. I was interviewing with other types of jobs. But as I started to create my first sequence, I guess I'll call it, um, it, it started to be exciting. There was a goal. There was something tangible that I needed to go after. And I found out that that was a major drive for me. Something that, oddly enough, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize in high school or even in college that, that a quota, a number, a goal like that was so important to me. But at the very end, um, I did get close to graduation. I asked for the job. Most of the people had stopped responding to me, but there was one that had continued to respond. So um, did another round of interviews. They ended up accepting me on. So 
Um, do you want me to con- continue on a little bit about the path and some of the yeah, just high level? Like that's how you got started, and then, yeah. then kind of what happened next. You're at a pretty cool company now, so let's just interesting on how it landed at Encore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the high level path is. I was a, I started out as a BDR and that's, you know, at the time it was 40 calls a day instead of 90 because we didn't use auto dialers as much right. as a day, but lots of calls. Um, wanted to get into inside sales desperately. Usually took about a year. And then um, there's a couple of mentors that I'll bring up in this conversation because they become important later. Uh, we were just opening up our Canada practice and there was somebody by the name of Christine Steger. She, uh, she had just joined as an account exec and we all kind of knew she'd eventually be the general manager of, of Canada for Red Hat. And we all, all the BDRs wanted to be her inside sales rep. So we all fought for it. And I eventually uh, ended up getting lucky enough to be picked. And so I did that for a couple of years. It was awesome. Learned a ton and got to go on my first outside sales calls. And then, uh, and then I wanted to move to, out, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was inside sales. I got a couple of outside sales calls, but I wanted to move into outside sales. So I sat myself next to somebody uh, named Saeed Zwani in the in the office and he becomes important later as well um fantastic guy very kind just a rock star sales leader and he ended up pulling me into outside sales which was not something that red hat typically did um did that for a couple years and then i'll fast forward a little bit went on to ibm um because of some leadership opportunities that i knew would come up did that for a couple of years Uh, at one point i was leading a very big software team uh and there were two managers. I was one. One of my old mentors was another. My dad was actually on my old mentor's team because my dad had moved back into sales. And I mentioned this earlier, but uh, my old mentor got a really cool opportunity and he left the company. So for about two months, my dad actually reported to me um, <laughs> inside of IBM. And the best part about it was he was just kicking butt, closing deal after deal. But when I'd call him for forecast calls, my mom would show up in the background. Hey, Chad, how you doing, sweetheart? <laughs> you know, so I'm like, my boss is on, and I just love it. It was great. <clears throat> um, from there, I, I got to lead a, a Watson data platform team at kind of the onset of Watson. That was the first director role for me. Um, that kind of opened up a lot of doors. Moved on, got asked um, to run global sales for a startup here in Raleigh uh, called Zaloni. It was a big data cool. uh, startup for data lakes. So that was kind of my first foray into VCs and uh, working for a CEO and managing the tension between what we need for the market and what the reps can and can't deliver. Um, uh, from there, I was asked to join a company through a, a previous mentor called um, Software AG. It's a German uh, software company to run cloud and kind of drive their cloud transformation, which is a fantastic role. Um, and I probably would have stayed in it a little while longer had I not um, – uh, been asked by my previous mentor, the one that brought me into outside sales, uh, to come and run uh, global enterprise sales for Anchor. And the reason that actually happened is I had a, a couple of advisor roles that I had picked up along the way. One was with him. And you kind of hit the nail on the head. They got their series of funding, their series A it was big. They needed to scale. And, you know, when you have somebody you respect and like that much come and ask you to run sales, you, you, you do, do it. it. So yeah. I just started that about a month and a half ago. Well, I'm excited to to get into what's going on and what you're seeing. It's an interesting story. I appreciate you sharing it. Uh, sure. That 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 uh, had to be an interesting experience being your dad's boss for a while. That that's an oh, it was. Role you know what? He was he was doing so well, closing so many deals. It was fantastic. It may have been different if it was a tougher environment, but at that time, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> so a lot of things have changed in, in even the last three weeks, right? Yeah. Well, as a as a leader of an enterprise sales team that's working with large enterprise companies and probably some smaller ones as well around the world. Uh, what are some of the things that you've seen right now? Just some of the changes recently, and then, then we could get into what do we do about it. But I'm, I'm, I'm first interested, just what are your observations? Are, you know, we've got thousands of listeners around the world that are having their own things, and it's always interesting for people to see what are other people seeing happening right now as the world is changing. Yeah. Um, wow. <clears throat> the last three weeks. So lots changed. Um, the I'll just say from a from a my current company my current state level, the amount of inbounds is about cut in half, and inbounds are a bit of a lifeblood for us because of our our position in the market. Inbounds have gone down. Um, conversations, I, I'm not. They've only gone down because we have less inbound leads. But I will say that there is a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel on some of these things because I am finding that I get more time with higher levels 
right now. It seems like as people are working from home, they're not traveling. I mean, it's the same for me. I usually travel every other week and I'm not traveling right now. Yep. All of a sudden they, they do have a little bit more time. And so I guess in the next part of this that you alluded to, we, we can talk about how to take advantage of it. Um, you have to be very careful though, because I, I have also seen, you know, as sales reps at the end of that discovery call, you go to timing, whether it's Bant or medic or whatever you do. And I had somebody yesterday chuckle whenever I was asking about their timing. Uh, cause he was saying, Oh, I have no idea. It depends. Are we all, are the zombies right. going to take over by the next six months or not? Right. So you do have to edit your approach. And I kind of caught myself and bit my tongue as I was, as I was saying it, but yeah, things have changed quickly. So those are some interesting things. So you're seeing some inbound going down, but you're seeing access to, uh, people at higher levels start to open up. Yeah. Um, that, that's interesting. I've heard that from some other people as well. Uh, are you, I'm seeing also like almost everybody is having to think through how do I work in a remote environment now? Um, I might've had enterprise people that were reliant, like you said, on getting on planes and going face to face. Uh, The the enterprise sales motion quite often is still relationship driven that needs to have people meeting with people. And at least people have have thought that was the case and and they're having to change that now. Um, One of the things that we're getting a lot of phone calls about right now is how do I take uh, a, a team that might've been geographically dispersed that was reliant on going and visiting people and have them become an inside sales team now, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, that's a very common question that I'm seeing. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts. You know I mean? Are you seeing that the job has changed, that the way they engage customers is changing? And, and I guess as you look at this, there's two places I want to go to start this conversation. What do salespeople need to do differently but then what do sales leaders need to do differently? And let's start with salespeople. How is that job changing? Yeah, that's a good difference. Uh, and thought, cause it, they are two very different pieces. I, I think, um, I think uh, almost going at this at a macro level first is important on what's happening in sales in general, because I think that what we're seeing right now is going to accelerate it significantly. This, this has been a conversation that I've had with my mentors probably for the last uh, year or two, ever since I really got deeper and deeper into startups the BDR and customer success sides of the sales process, right? You kind of have BDRs getting the meetings and then you have account execs progressing, closing the deal. And then customer success is, is oftentimes, you know, growing the deal or making sure they're successful. I think what I've seen just in general is a lot more remote interactions. I think as video calling and things like that have become pervasive, uh, you've probably seen on my channel, I talk a lot about always turn on your video, right? I think yes. it's, I think it's yes. the best way to see the whites of somebody's eyes. A discovery call on video is wildly different than a discovery call on the phone. So I got to push pause. So you'll Let's find do it. Me. I do this all the time. Okay. Pause Sorry. It, please. So we're pushing pause on this one because for a lot of people that like for inside salespeople, they might have already been doing these video yeah. calls. Okay. Yeah. 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 But for people that are changing that didn't do this, I have a lot of people saying, Oh, that feels awkward. Or, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Can you go a little deeper on that? Cause I think you're onto something there. I think video today is more important than ever before. And I think it's going to be something that survives even after all this clears. Yeah, absolutely, man. So that's that's probably the most important message that I'm giving to people right now is uh, video is only awkward because as account execs, we are so reliant on seeing people in, in, in person to person, face to face. It's it's only awkward on our side because we are used to jumping on a plane, showing somebody that they're so important to us, we're willing to pause our lives, jump on a plane, right. go meet with them, shake their hand, take them out to lunch, right? But I'll tell you, those people that you're meeting with, oftentimes work in remote environments. They are already doing video calls. They were the pioneers of video calling and collaboration tools like Slack. Tell me your customers don't use Slack or Teams and I'll be, I'll be shocked, especially yeah. if you're selling in any enterprise space, right? Yeah. So it's only awkward because we feel awkward. I'll tell you that the pushback that I've gotten, and, I, and I'll say ever since my uh, IBM Watson days, when we got Zoom years ago, um, earlier days of Zoom, the pushback that I get only from sales leadership and sales reps. When I turn it on with customers, I don't know, eight, nine times out of 10, they turn theirs on immediately because they're all, they are in an office or they are wearing their hoodie and they don't care if you see them in their hoodie. Right. Only as sales reps do we care if somebody sees us in our hoodies. Um, they turn it on. You see the whites of their eyes. You, you have an immediate connection. And I'll say the only, you know, the only thing that I'll, I'll suggest is make sure that when you do it, 
you take it as seriously as you take it whenever you jumped on a plane and you've flown for eight hours. Have a camera set up. Have your notes to where they're close to the actual camera lens and not on a different screen so it looks like you're looking at the person. It doesn't take that much work, but just keep that in mind. Just because you're on a video call doesn't mean that it's any different than uh, you know making sure that your, your shirt is ironed whenever you meet a customer in person. Really good advice because I think that is something, especially, like I said, people that haven't, if you were an inside salesperson, it's very possible that you already started doing this. Yeah. But, but for field salespeople that now are working from home, I think that is one of the big things you should get very comfortable with as fast as you can. 100%. Because, I mean, I will say, as, as account execs, we are good at creating those eye-to-eye, face-to-face. Yes. But you're really good, whether you know it or not, you are really good at reading body language. And if you don't turn on your video and don't get them to turn those on, you're screwing it up. The word of advice is get there a couple minutes early, turn your video on first, so that when they join, they see a video and they flip theirs on. You're good at it. You're, you're kneecapping yourself if you're not taking advantage of that. Love it. Really good. I, I think that's a good one. So that's, that's important that we use tools differently. Yeah. What about what about like sales skills or sales activities or things like that? Are, are there other new skills that you need to develop? Are there other new activities that you need to start to uh, uh, begin to to count on and have mastery of in this new environment? Yeah, yeah. So I think um, you know, I've, I, I, it's funny you asked this. I was just having a conversation last night with one of my mentors, Chad Hawk, on this. So. Um, we've run a lot of enterprise sales teams sometimes together. I worked for him at one point. We've been peers at other times. And a lot of the reps that we've ended up leading are at complicated software sales organizations, you know, kind of IBMs of the world that it's very complicated. And these Complex, folks are used to, long sales cycles, big tickets, right. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You got it. You got yeah. it. And those folks are used to the uh, kind of sitting in the lobby, if you know what I mean. They are constantly in front of their customers. They're sitting there. They get their meetings because they're shaking hands and they're in the lunchroom. And all those things are gone right now. So so then you have to kind of put your, your BDR hat on for a second and say, what are business development reps doing to get these meetings? And this is where, you know, somebody that I helped get hired at one of the uh, companies I was advising, James Bodden, and now he's big on LinkedIn as a BDR, James is great. Guy, right? Yeah, James, James is a great. rock star, right? Yeah. yeah. So I've known him for quite a while. And, you know, I go and I consult with him because I'm like, whoa, everything's changed. What do we do? Um, and so the, there's the, the skills that BDRs use very effectively that account execs can also use is understanding how people are interacting outside of the face-to-face world. So people interact, they interact on Twitter, they interact on LinkedIn, they post things. I can tell you that right now I have two customers or potential customers, prospects that I've connected with on LinkedIn and they're posting about stuff. And it's like, it's super cool. It's interesting stuff. And so, you know, I'm commenting on their stuff. I'm liking their stuff. All of a sudden they're responding to my, my emails a lot more quickly. I think that that's one piece is like, you don't have to be a rock star at social media. You barely have to be literate at social media to be different than others because not a lot of people are interacting now. And this is that kind of get more. What was I'm sorry. What was the saying again? Get more out of it. What was and it? then some, yeah. and then some, yes. Yeah. So this is that. And then some piece, right? Yeah. Not a lot of people spend the time to go and do a comment. If you just do that, then all of a sudden you're in the top 1%. So the social media part, I think is super important. The other part that's important is focusing on that, uh, that digital marketing thing. I go back to the BDR thought, you probably have a digital marketer. They're probably running sequences through things like HubSpot. Ask them for an hour to learn what a sequence really is. And that sequence is probably a set of emails or calls or touches that's going out to your customers. And what I've found is as I've started to get more and more involved in those like those, those, those leads, the sequences that are going out to them, I can help to tweak them here and there. And I'm finding just diamonds in the rough that you know, I kind of thought wasn't really my lane before some of this stuff started to happen. Now that it's happening, I've created some interesting uh, short-term lead generation stuff with my, with my sales team. Now. So, so those are three good ones, video, social, and then you know, more attention to the sequencing. And I want to talk about the sequencing here in a second. I didn't ask you a couple questions about the social. I'll let you kind of get off that one too quick. I want to push pause on that and dive into that one for a second. That's good. Um, I don't think that you were saying that they all have to come up with their own content like no. you're doing. No. What you were saying is be connected and find what they care about and connect with them via that channel more than 
position yourself as this thought leader content builder, right? Totally. I, you know, the thought I think that's a content, big deal. We got too many people. Try, yeah. And, and so I, I, I'm sorry. I just wanted to give you a chance to go a little deeper on that. So when you yeah, say social it. literacy, but can you talk a little bit about what that means? Because yes. I think there was a lot of time in the last, I don't know, even in the last year, I've seen it die off a little bit about the importance of being a content builder and personal branding and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's not important. I'm just saying I want to pick up what you put down. And I like how you said connecting with them and finding what they care about through this other channel, because like you said, shaking hands in, in the lobby is, is not available to you right now. No, it's, it's, very, it's very, you can't even do the elbow bump anymore. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so I'm glad you brought up that point because that, that is a really big point. The, the reason I say that if you make even a small effort, you're in the top 1% because sometimes people We'll say, uh, you know, let's just use social media a little bit more. And folks will say, well, I'm not good at that. Or I, you know, I'm not confident enough to go and talk about. Which is what they said about video. You already debunked that on video. So now let's debunk it on You can do it, right? If you, if you have a passion for creating content and talking about this stuff, then absolutely go out and do it. It's awesome. You don't get the likes and the comments at the beginning. They eventually come. They always do. But that is not. That's not the advice I'm necessarily giving to my reps. I will support them if they want to do that. But the advice I'm giving to my reps is you know the companies that you're going after, especially if you have something like Sales Navigator, even if you don't. You know the companies. You know the people. I'm sure you've got a list of four or five that you really want to get into. If you connect with those people on LinkedIn, and not just, not just connect as in like, will you be my connection, yes or no, but <laughs> they start to post about something. And you just comment on it. Liking is fine, but liking is pretty passive. If you just say something, they love it. I'll, even even CEOs of companies, oftentimes they'll get one or two comments, right? And, th and that's okay. That's fine. But, you know, they're putting stuff out there because they want to know if people find it valuable. And if you do, say something. I, I think back to something that I always heard as a kid, right? If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. If you do think of something nice, then say, say it. it. It makes like makes somebody else's life just a little bit better today. And the same goes with social media. If you see something, put a little comment in there, especially if it's a potential customer, because um, it's a genuine, it's not a fake way to build a relationship. It's genuine. They notice it's genuine. And you start to create the relationship that usually you would have done by sitting next to them at a table at, the, at their, in their lunchroom inside of their company, which you just can't do today. And I would imagine that particularly in the in, in the enterprise space, you're going to be able to get a lot of insights on things that the companies care about right now yeah. if you're seeing what, what the companies are talking about and connecting to, et cetera, right? You got it. Like that's, that goes in, it just, it's like smacks, it, it, it smacks me in the face of the unfair advantage that you can gain by doing this. I talk a lot about that. Like I talk a lot about find your unfair advantage, whether it's things that you're interested in, things that you're good at, or things that you learn how to use. Uh, I even call the, the video podcast colds, chattels, unfair advantage for this yeah. reason. Uh, colds might be a little bit of a different word during the virus, but here we are. Um, but that, that's, that, that is a huge unfair advantage. People talk about reading the, the annual statements of your customers, right? That's a great one. That's been the unfair advantage. And a lot of the old school sellers that I, that I work with, the really good ones, still they read those annual statements, but they don't look at the posts on LinkedIn or Twitter. And I'm like, you know, those annual statements are great. Every year you get to learn about their big projects. But if you look at their LinkedIn or their Twitter accounts, you can see a mini annual statement, a daily statement from them about what matters to them. And I think that's really important. It's no different than the reps that went and looked at the financials of their customers, looking at what they're posting on social media. And you can even get down to the individual level on LinkedIn versus just a company's annual statement. And, and for a lot of people, they may be listening to us saying, well, no, duh. But that might be some people that were already selling in this environment. For people that are mo moving right. to this more remote, have been relying on doing other things, now I can't. These are some really important things that are going to give you that advantage. So I'm glad that you brought it up. And, and it's, you're not saying you need to now become a content expert. No. no. I no. want you to be a connection expert. So That's right. I, even right. the people that say no, duh, I see most of those people not commenting on their customer's stuff. Is that right? Say it. We all know it. We all know it's important. It's not that much extra work to comment. Hundred percent. So I'm glad you're saying it. Let's yeah. talk about the last one: sequencing uh, and the lead gen kind of fun function. I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, I, 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 I'm thinking myself, and I 
from two perspectives. One, from what me and my team are doing as we engage customers, but also what I receive. I, I got a lot of people that are reaching out to me right now trying to sell stuff to us. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think now is the time to cr- crank up the volume. I think now is the time to crank up the personalization. Um, and, and so I'm interested in your thoughts on that. I think generic sequences uh, probably don't fit as much as they used to, but I'm very interested in your perspective on that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's, I, I go back to um, some of the, some of the leaders in, in these types of spaces. One is um, Jeremy Donovan. He's the, he runs sales over at sales loft. Right. Yeah. And he talks a lot about what's changing. Um, and it's really interesting to follow him right now because things are changing so quickly in sales. The, the general statements yeah, you get less and less engagement. Now, I will say that does not mean that marketing sequences that go out to ten people are worth, or I'm sorry, ten thousand people are worthless. They're still they still have their place. But today, especially when we're when we're fighting all the news channels and people's right. worries for their own health and safety for uh, brain share, you know, during the day, it becomes really important that you go down to these little precision strikes. Which, for lack of a better term, that's what I'm calling them in my company. You know, we see. We see, uh, we've talked about, we see inbounds going down. You can't just go and invest another million or $2 million into marketing and get a bunch of meetings tomorrow. It doesn't work like that. Those types of things, those sequences take a while to do. Yeah. But what you can do is you can start to say, okay, th- this is my perfect industry. This is my perfect persona. Because my reps have a little bit more time, they're not getting as many inbounds. There's not as many deals going through procurement right now. Why don't we start working working on the relationships for those best customers that we can go after? And that's where we're going a couple of steps deeper saying, okay, we want to go after these 15 people. Chad, you're going to take these. You know, Susan, you're going to take those. And you're going to start your own very personalized sequences. So you look at them on any social media you can get. You put their name into Google. It's kind of amazing how many times you can see somebody's podcast or somebody's uh, a presentation they did at a sales kickoff. Right. And then find out what find out what they care about again and make it personalized. And I'm seeing the hit rates way higher on those. It is a lot more work, but you know what? A lot of people have a lot of extra time right now working from home and not traveling. Now's a great time to personalize. I love how you said that. It is a time for personalization. Yeah, I, I just, that's what I'm seeing. I'm interested. I'm glad that you shared that. So I like those three. Those are three things that reps need to do differently. And, and those are meaty. I mean, what I like is it's not like there's any silver bullet. It's back to basics, yeah. you know, making sure that it's not just cranking up the volume, but it's cranking up the, uh, the level of, of, uh, I guess personalized what I already said, but like how effective, cranking up the effectiveness more than just the volume. And, that's right. And that's what a field salesperson often has said is I'm not here to make, you know, a hundred calls a day or whatever. I'm here to go win these targeted accounts. We still want you to win those targeted accounts, but you're going to have to use different tools and skills to do it. That's right. That's right. And the, the way you get started, I have so many people that are resistant to get started. Just try, just start. It's kind of like, it's, it's like anything else. Your first sales call is scary. Just try your first presentation is scary. Try. It's not that hard. You, you can't fail that hard by trying. So let's talk about what's changed for leaders. So now I got all these people that I can't walk down the hall and see them and, or, you know, the, the, they, my, my people can't do the job the way they used to do it. They're being asked to do a job that's important, done a different way. I'm supposed to still lead them. How do I keep from just becoming a check-in guy? You know, I mean, I, I, I think that's like an easy trap to fall into as a leader, just checking in because that's easily seen as babysitting and micromanagement, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, there's, uh, so I, there's two pieces of this answer. I think there's the last three weeks piece of this answer. Okay. I think as leaders, um, f- first thing you have to do is be genuine and honest with your people about the current situation. I think you have to be supportive. You have to be kind. You have to understand that people are going through things that they probably have never dealt with in their lives. You know, things are getting real. Everybody else, it, they also understand that some companies are in a bad spot and that they could be at risk if this thing goes on far enough. So That's right. the first thing as a leader right now is to put away the hammer, put away the bat, hmm. and get in the trenches with your folks. So this goes to the second piece. What do leaders need to do? And this isn't just over the last three weeks. This is just in this general shift that we're seeing inside of sales. Um, as a leader, I get it. You paid your dues. You made your calls. You closed 15 
deals over a million dollars, whatever it is. But, but I think leaders need to start recognizing that as the world changes and goes to cloud, goes to SaaS, goes to freemium and trial worlds, things have changed and you have to jump in the trenches with your reps. You have to understand what it is like to close it, to land a small deal and then expand it, right? You have to understand what it's like to have five new competitors every week because it's easier to create software products. Mm. And you have to learn what it's like to lose to that tiny little startup that's super agile. Um, I, I think as a leader right now in this digital uh, cloud selling world, you have to retrain yourself a little bit because I, I fell into that um, during some of my my IBM leadership days. I, I kind of worked my way up the chain. And as I was doing it, the world was changing. And all of a sudden I was running a cloud product. And, you know, I hadn't really sold a lot of cloud products in the past. So I had to jump right in and become, there's no better way to learn something than kind of becoming a BDR again. They know your product and your market better than anybody. Mm, so I, I like think it. Be kind and get in the trenches. Learn this stuff because it's changed probably since you were, you know, really good at it. Yeah, I think that that's good advice. Put away the hammer, be kind, and then get in the trenches. I, I think that's one of the easiest traps to fall into yeah. is you get disconnected from what people are saying. And and um, you, you brought up like free trials and pilots. You know, I'm finding, you know, there's a lot of people that won't buy right now unless you can give them something like that. Totally. And then there's a lot of other people that might not be selling actively in the modern sales environment that are leading that say, why are you doing that? We don't have to do that. I've never had to do that. You know, do you have teeth in this? Do you know how it moves from pilot to expansion? And I mean, so you talked about land and expand. I'm seeing a lot of people needing to do that. Do you have any insights on how you manage that motion right now in today's world? Yeah, I've, I'm actually going through a cool experience right now. So I've said a month and a half, two months in this current company. <clears throat> I've done um, the, the, the really big deals at the IBMs where they're, you know, tens, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, I've done the really small deals at startups. Uh, what I love about what's happening right now in my current company is everyone talks about land first, then you can expand. But the problem is typically as you get closer to December or the end of the year, that land needs to be bigger and bigger to hit your numbers. Yes. I'm so glad. We, I didn't know we were going to go here. This yeah, is awesome. Yeah, this is, yeah. But this is it, right? Like that's, yeah. that's the crux of the problem with land and expand because as account execs, especially if you've been in the business 10 years and your salary has gone up accordingly, sometimes it can be hard to justify um, the, you know, 40, 20 K land, stuff like that. I got to say though, um, this is where selecting your company, selecting your product becomes important. You are making a conscious decision whenever you join a company. You are making a conscious decision of how you're going to sell. So if somebody is telling you land is, and expand is important, and then you talk to them about what the end of the year looks like, what numbers looks like, and they say that you know your average deal size is going to be 250K, 500K, a million dollars, you got to make sure those things add up. There better be a lot of lands that have maybe already expanded once that you're walking into. If you're walking into new accounts and they're saying your, your average deal size is 200K, that's not the job for you. So my current environment, what's so neat is as I'm doing these pitches, I'm pitching to some of the largest banks on the planet, um, some of the largest uh, media companies on the planet. And on my first few pitches, whenever I had my boss on with me, um, I was able to watch him go through it. And what he said is, you know what? We see a lot of our customers start with the four analyzer. Think of it as four CPU, the smallest bundle. And then they grow with us and they grow because we add value and they want to grow. And it's really interesting because I could have said that and probably my last three companies, and it would have been true. But what we would do is we would continue to work our way up and get in front of the CFO and the head of procurement and talk about all these futures and the discounts we can get. And then there was immediate shelfware. It's, it can be painful as a CEO to allow your sales teams, and maybe this is a little advice to the, to the highest level leadership, it can be painful at the beginning to allow them to land and then effectively expand. It can also be difficult to set up your comp plans to where that makes sense. Right. But if you do it right, then you create this flywheel that doesn't stop spinning. And that's where I think, um, you know, that statement of uh, whenever you're in an interview, you're also interviewing them. Yeah. Like 
you really got to start to take control over that stuff because if you can find somewhere that will allow you to do, do the land and then the expand and continue to make money off of it, then um, it's best of all, all worlds. And I'll say that companies like uh, Amazon and Salesforce right now do a great job with that. You know, my buddies that are at Amazon, uh, sometimes 80% or 70% of their, their on-target earnings, their pay, their variable pay is already there when they start the year. And wow. so they're going after that 30%. They know they're going to be paid because they've kicked butt the last couple of years. And it's just, it's a better, happier, kinder environment whenever you do something like that. So it's important to interview the company as you're interviewing to make sure that if they're telling you you're landing and expanding, that they've got the comp plan and the deal's already there to allow you to do it. Really good advice. I'm, I'm glad that we went there. I didn't expect to go there. You, you talked about two things about for leaders, but putting away the hammer, the other is getting in the trenches. I, I want to get your take on this one. I, I found that it's really easy when a sales leader gets in the trenches. There's a lot of things to do right. There's a lot of ways you can screw yeah. it up, though, too. Yeah, when you're on a call face-to-face or now maybe you're on a call, uh, on a video call, or maybe you're listening to a gong or a chorus recording or whatever, one of the things that I've seen, I can't wait to get your take on this. I think that, that sometimes the easiest trap to fall into is leaders will take things over. They'll just yeah. take over a call. You are so right. And I think that you don't help when you do that. I think you actually effectively have emasculated that person. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've taken away their ability to be impactful. Any, any thoughts about what it means to get in the trenches? Any like, tips on how to get in the trenches the right way? Yes. 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 So first thing is do not take over the call. <laughs> like it's easy to do though, right? It, it is, it is easy to do, but it's also easy to have self-control and not like it's, it's something that, and maybe it's not easy, but it's a very, it's a very specific thing. Your rep opens the call your rep makes all the big comments. Your rep answers all the questions and your rep closes the call. You talk if something comes up, that needs to have an executive way in. If there's a product change that they want and your rep refers to you, you know, then you can speak and have that conversation with your rep beforehand. So that's, that's not so much what I'm getting at on in the trenches is jump on the sales calls with your reps and, you know, be the guy that carries the bag with them because inevitably Good. you're probably going to take over. Um, I'm glad you brought this up because it is a really important differentiation here. When I say jump in the trenches, find somewhere that you can jump in and run the deal. Run the first part of the deal, okay? And this, I, I never want to hear, well, that's not possible because people own all the accounts. No, they probably don't. Turnover in sales is high enough that there is a territory that is open right now. I get it. It might be somewhere in the Midwest that you don't want to call on because it's a hard territory, but there is no better place than, you know, Kansas City or Utah or somewhere else to, to call on and find out what's happening with your sales pitch. Yeah. So whether you're thinking about expanding into a new country, I mean, right now we're, very much considering expanding into London because a bunch of our uh, inbounds are coming from there. Um, take that for a little while. And, you know, there's a beautiful side side effect that comes from that. If it's effective and you can still do the job that you, that you lead, then all of a sudden you're starting to build an active pipeline for that person you're going to hire. There's no better way to join a company than to have one or two deals that have already been started and in flight. You're right. You, you, you're not, you're not leading from the front. You're not in the trenches if you're taking over your sales reps calls, either they're good enough to do it or they're not. If they're not, then you need to either train them or get rid of them. You don't come in and take over the call, right? So, so their calls are their calls. Find somewhere where you can do it. You can be effective and you can build a territory for a new rep. I'm really glad that we had this conversation because uh, my good buddy, John Barrows and I, we talk about this a lot. Yes. Most sales leaders come from the, the background that they were the salesperson that got promoted and right. so the leadership skills are very different than the sales skills, but yeah. they look back and say, hey, I can do that. I know how to close that deal. I know how to uh, overcome that objection. I know how to advance to the next. And so it's, it, they become deal chasers, and, and they often confuse that with leadership, and it's, it's a big mistake that I, I see happen. And it's not just with new managers. I see it all the way through. Absolutely. So, they always revert back to what they know. Yeah, we all do that. You revert back to your training, right? They say it in the military all the time. You train hard enough so that you don't have to think about it. When Listen, I have, a, I have a, a piece of content called The Seven Deadly Sins of Coaching, and one of them is being a, a crutch, not a coach, and it's the one that I fall victim to the most because I get so passionate about doing deals. I freaking love it. So when I get in there, man, sometimes 
I realized after I said, I went too far. I should have done less. So yeah. And I, I'll <laughs> say the same thing too. I like, I, I fall victim to it too. I'm sure some of my reps current or past will look at it and say, well, Chad, you got into this deal with me and you, I, yeah. we all fall into it. It's impossible to totally avoid, but it is very possible to become a little bit more self-observant on that. And I think the best way to do it is to, to find a patch that's not being covered because you will be at risk of taking over your reps deals. So we're starting to run out of time and I want to make sure we finish the way we always do, but there's a couple things I wanted to, I wanted to kind of hit before we go. And there's kind of two or three things that we can do at high level. If you were to wrap up, these have been really good conversation. First of all, thank you. This has been fantastic. You've given me a couple things for leaders around putting away the hammer, getting in the trenches. Is there like one or two things that you would say are the biggest catalysts that will be the driver of your success or failure as a sales leader? Is it those two things? Is there anything else you'd add to that? Uh, maybe, maybe it's a cheeky little comment, but it's one that, uh, is really important to me. Um, okay. So as a sales leader, I'll say, uh, be kind and yep. grind, right? It rhymes. I know it's a little silly, but it's really, it. it's, it's in, it's in that order on purpose. Um, I put grind last because the salespeople are going to have that grind in them. They're going to have the drive in them. They're going to do it. Um, if you put them in the right environment, they're going to just flourish and do well. How do you do that? The harder part is be kind. Okay. I've been in the situation where I've had VCs just beating me over the head. I could, I've got plenty of managers that have beat me up as a sales leader. It is extremely important that you allow your reps that already know how to grind to flourish. And the only way to do that is be kind to them, be honest with them, but be kind to them. Don't ever take your frustration out on them. Um, I think that is probably the biggest catalyst that you can do is put them in a situation where they can flourish. And that also means allow them to have their work-life balance. You know, mm. they have the grind in them. You do it the right way and you make it fun. You make it enjoyable. They're going to balance it out well, but you have to be kind to them. So that's the thing as a leader, as a rep, I think it's um, those that can adapt right now will survive. I think as a rep, you've got to really start to just think about yourself when you were going for that first internship. You would have taken any internship and you would have done whatever weird cold calling or meetings that you ever had to do. You've got to take that path again, because I think not only has sales been changing very quickly due to the cloud and collaboration tools right now with what's happening in the world, uh, it's going to change even more quickly. And you have to be willing to put yourself in those uncomfortable scenarios, whether it's video calling or inter interacting on on uh, social media. So there's the last two things I wanted to ask you. That was the first one. Anything you had. So I love that, that be kind and grind. That's very likely going to be the title of our episode that we do. <laughs> very cool. I like it. I like, I like it. it. Okay. Perfect. Um, next one. You've mentioned uh, at the importance of being agile like three or four times in this conversation. Uh, what does it mean to be agile? Uh, I mean, you're a young company that's growing fast. You ha you, you've mentioned that you have that benefit. Can big companies, you were at IBM, can IBM be agile as well? I mean, can it, totally. does that come down to, can a leader bring agility to a company? And as, as you're speaking to a bunch of leaders right now, is there any thoughts around agility, especially now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a statement I've heard a lot of leaders say that I've always had a hard time wrapping my head around and solving. And that's the fail fast thing. You know, fell fast, fell fast, fell forward, fell fast, whatever it is. And as a sales rep and as a sales leader, I've had a hard time wrestling with that because it's been like, well, if I fail, then that's bad. I've messed up. Um, I, I think it's really probably in the last month, it started to, to clear up a little bit for me. This agility thing is all about putting yourself in that uncomfortable situation, trying and then changing quickly. And I'll give you a, I'll give you a quick example. Um, right now, uh, with inbounds going down, I've created this little program with my BDR team and my reps. And it's, we already talked about it a little bit, but it's going like hyper focused on a few customers and sending them the emails, calling them, sending them things on LinkedIn, um, kind of trying to match this up in some kind of short term sequence to build pipeline now. Right. And what I did is the first thing I sent, I thought I, I thought I had crafted a pretty awesome email, right? It was personal. It right. talked about what we did. I had the call to action. I rocked it. I sent out about 20 of them. I got zero opens in the first two days and it crushed wow. me. Eventually wow. I got a couple of opens in one response. And it was like, man, I'm, I'm, but I'm good at this. I've done this for years. I know what I'm doing. But what I did is, you know, very quickly, I knew that the guys on my team were better than me at this. They've been doing it 
more recently and more often than I ever did. So, you know, on our next prospecting call, I put two prospecting calls on the calendar for our little team. And on the next one, I brought it up on the screen and I said, all right, guys and gals, I need to know what's wrong with this email. Right. I sent this out and it's all about humility and being honest because they both, they've all been here. Right. Right. I, I wrote this email. It didn't work. It didn't get opened. I didn't get good responses. What did I do wrong? And I said, please be honest with me. Like, we got to fix this together. And boom, all of a sudden, the BDR and the account exec, who are quite a few years younger than I, uh, especially the, uh, some of the folks that I've worked with, they, they said, oh, Chad, it's too long. Your first sentence isn't catchy enough. You've got to get your entire message off in the first sentence. You got to boom, 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 boom. And it was like, as they're Whoa, saying, it, I'm, thinking, yeah. I'm thinking, of course, whenever I'm looking at emails, if I got to read through this whole dang email, I'm not going to want to do it. Of course they're right. Why didn't I think of that? But now all of a sudden I've got this new email that's super short that isn't as polished, but it looks personal that I get to send out today. And I'm really excited about it. But, but it's that fail quickly, be agile and be willing to go to folks that know more than you and just say, Hey, what am I doing wrong? Help me. Thank you for that. Last one before we wrap up. You mentioned mentors and, and mentorship oh, yeah. three or four times on this. Any thoughts about either being a mentor as a leader or the importance of having mentors? I, I know for me, mentors have led me through every phase of my career. I, I had a couple of mentors that helped me get started. And now I'm not going to say how many years later, I still have mentors now. You know, like for instance, Doug Landis is a mentor to me as I'm being a CEO. And I've had to shift mentors. And I found that mentors were super important for me at every phase of my career, not just early even now, you know, late. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, mentors are, are absolutely everything. They are going to be the reason that you get most of the coolest jobs that you'll ever have. They're going to be the reason that you find some of the best reps you'll ever have. They're also going to be the people that get your butt out of hot water whenever you've taken on a job that maybe was a little over your head. And I've been in that situation before. I'll say that, you know, don't, okay, a couple of traps. Don't ask for too many people to be your mentor at one time. Being a mentee is a lot of work. You have to understand when it's best to reach out, probably once every three months or so. You have to prepare for those conversations. You have to interact with them. Um, you know, having more than two or two new mentors at a time is nearly impossible. Over the years, though, you'll pick up more. I'll say I mentioned Christine Steger at the beginning of this. Um, she was the Canada rep. Later on in my career, whenever I was running sales at Zaloni, I needed help and I needed somebody to come in and ramp up North America for me and do all the sales things that needed to happen. Cause I was spending most of my time with the VC. She agreed to come on and take that role for me. So she came in and there was no way I would have been successful without her. Uh, I mentioned uh, Saeed Zouani. He's the guy that brought me into outside sales. Well, guess what? He's also the CEO of Ancor now. He's also the guy that came back to me and asked me to come and join this organization. Um, last night I was speaking with one of my best mentors about what we talked about earlier. Like what's changing in sales. How do you get these yeah. account execs that are amazing how do you get them to be effective in a world where they can't meet their customers? And, and these are the most important conversations of my career. So I will say, when you think of somebody, text them. Whenever, whenever you know, something comes up that, uh, that, that I used to have a, a leader that used to say, uh, oh, you zombie crushed it. That was awesome. And I just thought that was the coolest term ever. And ever so often, it'll slip out of my mouth. And when it does, I text them. Right. If I go to Vegas and I play poker, I text Mike Madsen, who was one of my leaders that I loved at IBM and him and I sat at a poker table together in Vegas a number of times. And, and he's since retired, but he'll probably rule the world one day. And I still text him whenever I'm in that scenario. So if you think of somebody, text him, build that mentor network because you're going to need it. Love it. All right. That's it, man. I'm going to finish this the way I finish everything. Rapid fire. Three questions real fast. You ready to go? Yep. Okay. Hard number one, biggest sales leadership challenge you see right now and how do you beat it? Okay. Biggest sales leadership challenge is um, balancing the needs of a CEO or a VC organization, the needs of the company to grow with the reality of what your reps can handle at any one time. Like okay. That. So oftentimes they'll say, well, we need X amount of growth so we can invest into the product and do the thing that the things that we need to do. Chad, you need to deliver it. And then instead of just going and, and breaking that up amongst my, however many reps I have evenly, I go through and I say, okay, from a data perspective, to get this revenue, how many opportunities do we need to close at an average deal size? To get that many opportunities, how many meetings? That many meetings, you know, how many SQLs? That many SQLs, MQLs? You know, you go backwards. And then eventually you have this big data set that says, I need X amount of SQLs over the next three months because I know our sales cycle is whatever it is. Is that possible? 
I go to marketing, I go to the CEO, we sit down, and then we can have a real conversation of if it's reasonable, if it's realistic. If not, we have a number of levers we can pull. More money into marketing, more reps, whatever. But at least balancing that is probably the hardest sales leadership challenge I'm dealing with right now. And, 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 and probably you beat that through data? Is, is that how I interpret that? You beat you that through having the right data? data? Yeah. Okay. If you know your conversion rates, you can always back in all, you can pull the string all the way back to how many MQLs you need. How many leads do you actually need to close that amount of revenue? If you know your conversion rates and every tool, Salesforce, HubSpot, whatever your CRM. They is, can help you do that. People, yeah. They can all do it. It's yeah. not that hard anymore. All right. Number two, when you're hiring new reps, favorite interview question or interview topic, and what are you looking for when you're, when you, when you ask that or use that? Ah, I, I only ask one interview question. Okay. When I interview people, there is, there is, there is one question that we circle around for the entire interview. And that is, tell me about your career, the decisions you made, like what companies you went to and why you made them. That's all I want to know. And the reason I, oh, oh, and then I say, uh, if it's a junior role, I'll say, and try and do it in 10 minutes. If it's a senior role, I'll say, do it in 15 minutes. This kind of tells me everything. It tells me, does the person have grit? Have they worked through adversity through their career? What decisions has the person made from a role standpoint? That'll tell me if they're going to be a fit for my company. Maybe is sometimes you see people constantly running away from one type of role and running towards another, even mm. though they think that they want to lead the global org of the global sales team. It might be that they're actually just the baddest rep you've ever seen, right? The, understanding that. And then I'll dig in with questions of why you made that decision. You know, what drove you towards that, whatever it is. But that one question I've found is far better than listening to somebody's pitch about their career or what they want to do that they've practiced a thousand times with a thousand other people they've interviewed. It's, it kind of gets them on their heels a little Love bit more, it. more. You also find out if they're kind through that. It's a great approach. We haven't heard that one yet. I love it. Last one, man. Leaders are readers. And we found that the people that uh, or take their leadership job the most seriously are always continuing to try and prove themselves. So I don't care if it's books that you're turning pages on or audibles that you're listening to or even bite-sized chunks of podcasts or, or blogs. Anything, is there like one or two things you might recommend for our leaders, our, our listeners to pick up and, and add to their repertoire? Absolutely. Uh, so, so if I was talking to reps, I'd say things like um, the proximity principle or other, other, other books that are really strong on how to build kind of that mentorship network. But as a leader, uh, I think there's, there's two important pieces. One is keep relevant. And that's through podcasts like this. Like you gotta, you have to stay relevant in what's happening in the sales world. And the best way to do it is to listen to other people that are good at it. Mm. Um, the, the actual book for me is extreme ownership right? Great one. There's others. There's the hard thing about hard things is a fantastic book. There's all kinds of books. But to me, if you're a sales leader, it's absolutely critical that you take ownership of all the failures, um, that you, that you pass out all of the accolades for success, because, you know, as that leader, even, even if you made the best possible decision with the data you had at the time, if you don't take ownership of it, you're never going to learn from it. And if for some reason you're in an organization that whenever you say that was my fault, I apologize. They don't, they don't see that you're doing the right thing and taking leadership. If they, if they think, Oh, well, it was his fault. Let's shoot him. Then yeah. fine. Shoot me. Let me go somewhere else. Right. But uh, yeah, extreme ownership, Jocko willing. Yeah. Great. One. Guy. Hey man, this was awesome. We, we, we went over time and, but I think it was worth it. I, I hope that our listeners uh, are going to want to talk to you. I think they will. Um, how do they get more of you? How do they, how do they connect with you? How do they get more conversation or content from you? How do they pick up uh, the conversation where you've left off and, and go from there? How, how do they get more of you? Oh, that's awesome. I appreciate it. Um, uh, just basically through LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, you can go to my LinkedIn page and my videos are on there. Uh, you can follow Pound Cold's Unfair Advantage. It's Chad Olds. And I'll tell you that uh, at Red Hat, my first job, I was Colds at Red Hat. And people used to always make the joke, the tech guys would say, oh, you're, you're a software company and your name's a virus. Um, and I just kind of <laughs> stuck with it, right? And my wife actually ended up working at the same company and she was bold. So we were colds and bold. So that's awesome. kind of stuck with me. You'll see colds on unfair advantage uh, on any of the social platforms or send me a direct message. I love this stuff. I'm passionate about it and I love talking about it. So, you know, I'm always open for the conversations. All right, man. He, he, uh, he lives by a motto of be kind and grind. Uh, Chad Olds has been helping, helping in org organizations around the world take more than the market offers. You know, they take their and then some moments. Chad, this is awesome. I, I love it. This was every bit as good as I thought it would be and then some. So <laughs> as I say to all, man, thanks for joining us and happy selling. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. 
Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first I need to thank our friends at Outreach for their support of the Sales Leadership Podcast and for helping us showcase great leaders like Chad and discuss tactics on how sales leaders can be most helpful in challenging times like this. Because that's exactly what Outreach is all about, helping connect prospects with salespeople in ways that matter to those you reach out to. Outreach will help you create sales engagement your reps and your customers will thank you for, and they'll do it at scale really, really fast. Outreach is built by salespeople for salespeople, and they know how to help you scale. That's why they're a manager and a salesperson's best friend. Chad's a sales leader that's turning heads right now. I follow him, I really like his content, and I encourage each of you to connect with him, follow him, and reach out to him. I really haven't stopped thinking of his motto, the, the one that he shared with us, be kind and grind. Lead with kindness, but don't press pause on the work ethic. I think both are important. The kindness obviously is important and maybe more important than it's ever been, but the grind is not something that we can just push pause on. I'll be honest, I see a lot of people that are on taking like a sabbatical or a, a staying at home and, and kind of hanging out and waiting to see what goes on. And, and this concept of don't try to be a salesperson, I think, is a mistake. Those that respond best, those that adapt first, will be those that achieve leadership positions that they hold on to for the next um, next few years. This is a big, big deal, okay? Now, I'm going to say it again. Don't press pause on the work ethic. The game hasn't changed. The game is different, okay? But I'm going to say it again. I don't think the sales job has changed. We still got to sell. We still got to fuel companies. Listen, revenue is what makes companies successful. And, and all the people that have said that sales is a necessary evil or maybe it was a kind of a job beneath people, they're finding out really fast right now. You take customer revenue away, and all of a sudden those other jobs don't seem to matter so much. So we have the most important job in a company, and we need to make sure that we are adapting as the environment requires us to. Now, here's why I say this. Customers require the same experiences in order to buy. They need to have a problem. They need to have an understanding of why the problem matters. They need to, we need to be able to connect to the problem and effectively show how we can achieve the result they care about or solve the problem they care about. And then we've got to be able to help them navigate the internal politics to help them get the deal done. These experiences are still the experiences that matter. What's changed is the mechanics, not the actual process. How we engineer these experiences they're going to change, and they're going to continue to change. So we need to be the kind of leader and be the kind of coach that will help identify how the mechanics change and help each rep develop mastery of these new mechanics. This is a big deal. This is going to be something that defines you as a sales leader. A hallmark of the top sales leaders has always been adaptability. Those that adapt best are generally the ones that win. Chad shared that inbound has gone down for his team, for example. So this meant he's had to change the mechanic of how they identify and initiate new opportunities. The mechanic of connection has needed to be modified. And he shared some of how he's doing this. I want to remind you of this. I've said it once. I'm going to say it again. Those that adapt best will win in this environment. Period. I will stand behind that. If I was you, I'd make a list of the key experiences each customer needs to have and then work through how each experience is engineered. Some of the mechanics are going to be the same. But on the other hand, some of the mechanics are going to need to change. I'd identify the mechanics that have stayed the same, and I would communicate this to your team. Then I'd identify the changes, and I'd equip your team to master the new mechanics. Train, practice, coach, rinse, and repeat. Okay? Listen, I could give you all kinds of stories of adaptability that have to do with sales, that have to do with life. Um, those that adapt best win. Now, I'm going to be giving a detailed presentation on this at the Outreach Virtual Summit. Um, it's going to be awesome. So if you have not signed up for Outreach Unleashed Virtual Summit, go do it. I have brand new material. I've built it specifically for the environment that we're now in. And if you have not registered, do it now and tell them I sent you. Now, speaking of Outreach, I appreciate their support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Outreach is the leading sales engagement platform. Supercharge your revenue building efforts and reach out, check out uh, Outreach today. Your reps will thank you, your customers will thank you, and your team will accomplish more with the resources have if you add Outreach to the equation. 
Thanks also to Chad Olds for joining me and sharing his awesome insights. I loved the conversation, and I appreciated his willingness to open his playbook that has been so successful. Most of all, thanks to each of you, our listeners. The show is growing faster and faster each week, uh, and, and I can't thank you enough for the support and the shares. I, I find that during this time of quarantine, more people are listening, more people are commenting, more people are reaching out to me, and I appreciate it. So if you like today's show, please, please, please head to iTunes. Give us a five-star review as this is the best way for the show to grow and for me to continue to get access to the best sales leaders in the world. Finally, here's to creating influence, no matter your title. I want you to have influence with the customers that you have. I want you to have influence with the prospects that you're speaking with. I want you to have influence with the reps that you lead. More than ever, we need solid, strong leadership. So please, please be kind and grind and right now, be that leader that helps navigate through this time of change. Listen, we're all navigating the same storm, but we're all in different boats. So we need to have leaders that can find ways to connect with people and help navigate through this time. So I wish you all a fantastic week. I, uh, I hope that you do things that have never been done. And as always, don't worry, just execute, because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exploit, the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.